also wanted to just make a quick note in case you don't listen. I uh, I threw in the uh, electronic voice uh, joke into the <laughs> first episode. Oh, I I gotta so. I gotta find that. The uh, well the, the the second episode's not oh, out yet. Okay, so Shoot. once it's out, I'll I'm right. sure to let you know. What a great way to open a podcast. Yes. Just more editing work for you. Welcome back to the Movie Malarkey Podcast. This week we are talking about... Pirates of the Caribbean 3 at World's End? Correct. Yes. If you could just say that with a little more certainty so that the fans don't think we don't know what oh, we're Oh, well, doing, I don't... Oh, yes, be, we need to lie to them. That would, that would Lies excellent. and deception. Pirates of the Caribbean 3 <laughs> at World's End. Lies and deception. I wasn't sure if your grand gesturing was for me to say something or just because you were really getting into the moment. <laughs> I am a method actor. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, that's why we don't do a video podcast because I don't want the people to see all the dancing and moving about that I do. So, so real talk, I, I have been in an, a radio broadcast booth a couple of times and the thing that stood out to me the most was that the people talking on the radio no one can see them they're so animated mm. like they're moving their arms around they've got all these facial expressions it's i don't know <laughs> there might be something to be said for that uh having yeah. never had any yeah. formal education in the matter but uh like when um man i'm blanking on everybody's name today during our last movie, I couldn't remember Keanu Reeves's uh, name. Oh. Um, yep. I, I don't know where we're. I don't know where we're going with this, so I can't um, help you. Sherlock. Don't go where I can't follow. <laughs> what's what's his name? Benedict. Oh, Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Yes. Um, when he played Smog, uh, I probably should have mm. just said Smog. Um, he <laughs> did the the motion capture for it. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was the original plan, but when he was recording the voice, he he actually had the microphone mounted on a boom in front of his face, and he actually got down on the ground and slithered around like a lizard and and made all these <laughs> different expressions because he thought it added a lot to to the voice and the character. So I mm-hmm. think there's something mm-hmm. to be said for it. Boy, that that's that's some backstage footage that I need to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's 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 just great watching him act. Anything he's doing. <sighs> Does this have anything to do with what we're talking about today? Not a drop, but... All right, good. That's kind of our calling card at this point. What we are talking about <laughs> is Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. See how I said yes. that? How the, how the audience now knows that we are totally in charge of what we're doing here? So, if, if I were to, for just a moment, I think this one might be my favorite title of the three. Title, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Just like because the other two are so generic, you know, Dead Man's Chest, Curse of the Black Pearl, but okay. At World's End just has such a satisfying feeling to it. I don't know. Huh? I thought it was. <laughs> my thoughts are kind of the opposite. I just thought it was kind of generic. Um, <laughs> I liked the Black Pearl because I like when things are titled in such a way that uh, they have a a different description than they normally would, like a black pearl, which I think black pearls actually mm. exist. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very rare, though. Or there's, um, of course, I'm spacing on all the other names now, but just, you know, where things are often given a color or a mm-hmm. description that doesn't match their natural state. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I think that black pearl is a great name for a ship, don't get me wrong, but yeah, uh, yeah. Of, the, of the movie titles, I think that At World's End is my favorite. Especially a ship with black sails. <laughs> No ship without black sails. It's crewed by the else. damned and captained by a man so evil that hell itself spat him back out. Could possibly be okay. Hang on, I'm done. I, I <laughs> you knew the rest of that line because I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know it well enough. 
All right. So in the Pirates of the Caribbean, number three, at world's end, mm-hmm. the East India Trading Company is in total control of the world. Yes, because we saw at the end of the second movie, they were given the heart of Davy Jones, which gives them sort of de facto control over Davy Jones and thus the seas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it starts off with a very dark scene where there's lots of people lined up. It's a mass hanging. Oh, it's such a good scene. There's, uh, <laughs> boy, they're probably hanging like six people at a time. For yeah, it's it's it, very uh, uh, methodical. What's the word I'm looking for? Efficient. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah, uh, they're just reading off all these things, all the the rights that have been suspended. Um, mm-hmm. And the East India Trading Company is just hanging everybody uh i think the main thing is associating with a pirate and mm-hmm. then we mm-hmm. see uh, a child come up onto yep. the uh boy what uh what's the name for the the hanging platform i'm onto just the, forgetting everything today the gallows that's the word um so yeah and he just steps up there and uh, he's holding one of the pieces of eight mm-hmm. which uh, becomes important later in the movie yeah um and then he starts singing this pirate mm-hmm. song, which becomes very important later. It um, does. And I, after watching the entire movie, I, I still don't understand it. Uh, All right. So if you will permit me a moment to geek out about this scene. I would scene. absolutely love you to. Because <laughs> this scene is spectacular. And personally, I have an interesting relationship with this scene because the first time I watched the movie, I skipped this scene by accident. I don't know why. It was on DVD. Hmm. And for whatever reason, I didn't know the scene existed. Um, so <laughs> when I went back to watch it later and I actually got this scene, I was like, oh, this is this is so good. I like this scene a lot. There's a lot of emotion in this scene. The, the way that the song that they sing starts off with this very timid, frail child voice that just sort of barely breaks through the gravity of the the situation happening and then it slowly gets picked up by the people standing next to him and then ripples outwards until you have this huge crowd of these people in chains headed to the the gallows singing this very mm-hmm. interesting song and in just this defiant tone with this the stomping footsteps and the chains and everything it's it's a very powerful scene and it's important to the plot because we see one of the soldiers run up to our antagonist, Cutler Beckett, and say that they've started to sing. And we see that he's sitting there next to someone who is carefully writing down the lyrics to the song that they're singing. Oh, and if you, I missed that. And if you look up the, the lyrics to the song, or if you just listen to them, they desc- it's, it's a folk legend describing... Uh, spoilers for the rest of the movie. If if you haven't... <laughs> we, we spoil parts of the movie in kind of a scattershot way, so you're warned um but it it describes the the way that the original pirate court kidnapped uh calypso the sort of Mm. embodiment of the the power of the sea and and trapped her as a human and all of this stuff you know the the king and his men stole the queen from her cage and bound her in her bones all of this stuff Mm. and so this is cutler beckett trying to research sort of the mystical aspects of the pirates and the sea because that's that's his whole uh sort of character is that he's gained control of the sea by treating these legends as something to be exploited and twisted to his own ends Hmm. 
that adds so much more depth to the scene than I ever knew was there. I I, mean, I caught the part where he said, where he's like, oh, they started to sing, and he's like, finally. And mm-hmm. I never mm-hmm. never caught the uh, importance of it. I, so that's that's why <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. Um, so that kid, I'm assuming, was being hung because he was a, a presumably one of the children of one of the pirate lords. Because or just it, just a pirate, because yeah. we find out later that the little coin that he has is is not actually one of the pieces of eight. It's just an actual piece of eight, which are sort of a red herring that, yes. that Beckett goes off on for a while, and they end up not being important. Uh-huh. That didn't quite make sense to me. They're like, oh, yeah, we had pieces of eight, and then we just decided to use whatever junk's in our pockets at the moment. Well, uh, I think... Gibbs says that the pirate lords were all broke at the time, so they had to use whatever they could find. Oh, is that what he said? <laughs> and and they called them p- pieces of eight because it sounds more piratey than nine okay. pieces of whatever we had in our pockets uh-huh. at the time. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I I thought the the whole hanging scene was a little bit PG, um, <laughs> just because yeah. of, uh, the people just dropping. <laughs> Uh, actual hangings are much, much more violent. Not that I've ever actually seen one, but um, oh yeah. But I, I mean, these movies are are what PG thirteen. Well, so they are Disney. They movies. can only do so much. Yeah, <laughs> they are Disney movies. So yeah, I, I'm not faulting them for it. I'm just saying that it just mm-hmm. it stood out a little, as a little bit tame to me. Uh, not yeah. that I wanted a more gruesome scene, but just uh, it was just ever so slightly distracting. Um, yeah. I like the way that. Schindler's List did that sort of thing, um, but mm. that was a, a very much more gruesome movie. So, you know, you yeah, can't... Schindler's List and Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, slightly different movies. It turns out. <laughs> yeah, the the thing is, uh, where the part where they were pulling the boots off and piling up the bodies and the boots is kind of reminiscent mm. of Schindler's List a little bit. Yes, um, it's also just haunting to see that massive pile of boots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and the huge row of people that are lined up to be hung as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did find myself thinking, though, that if me and my friends were being hung for something, I, I'd like to think we would all go out chanting some great song together like that. Well, I mean, if we don't if we don't arrange something beforehand, we'll just we'll just have to do this one. Immediate, nothing else. Yeah, we could do that. Or immediately after this podcast, we'll have to write something just in case we need it. Probably, yeah. Um, I also liked that the guards kind of stepped back when everybody started singing because they mm-hmm. just all of a sudden had this extra courage. And yeah, it's just like, yeah. oh, man, this this could Absolutely. get out of hand fast. <laughs> and there, there's something to be said about for when, when people are all brought together by something. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be something super important. And that's that's honestly kind of a... That, that comes up more than once in the movie of... of uh... The, that unifying power of of the the pirates and their their lifestyle and whatnot. Hmm. Um, um, specifically at the at the end of the movie with the uh, right before the big battle and Elizabeth's pretty pretty solid speech beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now that we've segued so nicely into it, are there other examples you can think of? Or uh, it, that's that's the only one that I had on the top of my head but um okay. well actually no uh, i suppose that there's um i actually have in my notes here because i'm super... i wish i could remember how her speech went but it was pretty much like we're all gonna die so let's 
let's <laughs> make such an end as is worthy to be remembered by. Uh, I, sort of I the, think that's Lord of the Rings. Uh, the yes, yes, it is. But that's sort of the uh, the sort of what she was going for. Like, yeah, we're gonna die, so let's make it a good death. Um, pretty all much. right. Well, let's see. Where is my where is my notes? Uh, I believe this comes from la- much later in the movie when they've come upon the corpse of the Kraken. Um, Davy Jones having been ordered to kill the Kraken by uh, by Cutler Beckett. Um, mm. But Jack, I think, I love that had line. said earlier... You... Oh, I'm sorry, I don't mm. mean to interrupt. I love the line between Beckett and Davy Jones, which maybe will come up a little bit later too, but uh, where uh, he says, I would have thought you would have learned that when I ordered you to kill your pet. Yes, yes. There's a an ongoing power struggle between Beckett and, and Davy Jones, who definitely does not want to be following his orders, but is somewhat tied... Mm, uh, I have I have some notes written on that, so I think we'll dive into that a little deeper. Right, we'll get to uh, that. So go uh, with what you were saying. Yes, about I was talking about how um, there's a line where uh, Jack Sparrow says that he sort of likes the idea of being the last pirate if he if he <laughs> runs away and, and leaves everyone else to fight Beckett and they all die, but then they they come upon this kraken and they have this sort of sobering moment and Barbosa. Uh, says to Jack, the the problem with being the last of anything is by and by there's none left at all. Um, and they all sort of decide that their best hope is to to band together with all of these other pirates, even though they don't uh, they don't think that a, a group of described squabbling pirates has, has much of a chance. But it's mm. it's better than all all going it alone. I really liked Jack and Hector's Barbosa's uh, relationship in this movie because oh, yes, they've Throughout had the series, so much history just... together. They hated each mm-hmm. other in the first movie. Um, <laughs> Barbosa wasn't in the second movie, and then the third movie, they're just like they right hated each other, it. but now they're they they still have a lot of banter back and forth. But it's more yeah. of a there's a mutual, mutual respect, respect and yeah. rivalry going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hector Barbosa and and Jack Sparrow are, I believe, the best parts of these movies, and specifically their interaction. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I love some of the stuff that goes on, and I do have notes on that, so we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, kind of going along the the structure of the movie, um, mm-hmm. we then, after our opening scene, the hangings, we get to this uh, Chinese city. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't pay too Singapore. much attention to where it was. Singapore. Um, where Sao Fang is living. Um, Sao Fang played by a rather famous actor in some circles. Xiao uh, Yun Fat. Yes. Uh, I only know his name because we thought it was just a hilarious name when we were kids. <laughs> and... Uh, I always remembered it. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know what else he's in. I think he's in one or two other things that I've he's, seen. Anyway. He's not in a, a, a great deal of, quote, Western movies, but he's very popular in, in other markets. Hmm, okay. Um, I liked the kind of almost grandfather-to-granddaughter relationship that uh, Elizabeth and Barbosa sort of had as they were in yeah. Singapore, uh, which mm-hmm. didn't last for the rest of the movie, but I thought it was kind of a fun little thing. Um, yeah. when they were going in to meet Sao Fang, I loved the scene where, uh, Elizabeth, it, they're, they're checking him for weapons. And the one guy's like, you would think, you know, we think 
you think we think because she's a woman she would not be, be treacherous and then mm -hmm. they tell her to remove her weapons and she pulls like 16 pistols off of her and a grenade yeah <laughs> a bunch of other stuff i love that scene it's, it's a joke it's a scene been, that comes up yeah it, it's been used in multiple other movies but it's been I, moved I, in I don't many, care many other it's movies fun. but it, it was it was well played uh it, mm -hmm. and fit perfectly in this movie yes so <laughs> it's wonderful um one thing i didn't quite get in that scene they're mm. they're walking through his little i don't want to call it castle but it's like palace or whatever his private area <laughs> there's a bunch of fat dudes sitting in a hot tub and they have mushrooms growing on their faces yep i don't know if that's if that's some practice that actually happens or if it's implying that they've been there for so long that mushrooms I... are growing or or what the deal is it is deeply unsettling and i wonder if <laughs> it's supposed to be more than that or not but uh yeah uh, it that there is that <laughs> <laughs> i didn't have anything more to say than that to, uh, to that other than that yes as you said it was deeply unsettling um so then they have some negotiations whilst uh mr gibbs and the rest of the crew are sneaking below the floorboards uh, knocking out guards <laughs> Um, I love the part that Marty has to play in this movie. Marty is the super short pirate who mm, just mm -hmm. is just endlessly hilarious. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where they're fighting just a little bit later on where he fires this massive gun and he just blows back like <laughs> just 20 feet. flying. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And there's other things like that in the movie too. Uh, um, mm -hmm. While they're below the floorboards, he's like sitting on this fat guard who's unconscious and the guard starts to wake up and he just whacks him in the head with a frying pan or something. Oh, the, the head trauma. That poor man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so true. Um, uh that's a just a topic for later but just the 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 very cavalier way that movies treat head injuries <laughs> mm, yes and they're often like people can always take more or less than you would actually be able to handle in real life like you know you get punched in the head once and you're unconscious or you can get hit by a baseball bat and you're fine um uh, yes, but anyway, so they sneak underneath the floorboards of, of Sao Feng's sort of uh, stronghold here uh, so that when things all go south, they <laughs> they can throw swords up through the floorboards to Elizabeth and Barbosa. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think the cracks in the floorboards are big enough for the hilts of those swords to make it through. Well, they had to bring tiny little sawzalls so that they could make the floor bigger. Well, we do see that they, they did have to saw through a metal grate. Mm -hmm. um and i thought it was funny they they used a monkey playing one of those boy i don't those know what they're awful called music machines yeah the, the <laughs> song machines which is actually playing the pirate song mm -hmm. uh, a little reference to it i liked that later on when the thing actually explodes uh they used the undead monkey to turn the crank so once it exploded <laughs> the monkey was so just nobody fine gets hurt. <laughs> Um, anyway, back to the back to the palace scene. I like you know they're going through the negotiations, or and then they find out that Will has actually been caught on his mm -hmm. uh, little side trip to try to steal these maps from a temple or something you like know, that. You know, sending Will in to steal things covertly never goes well. <laughs> yes, yes. It just um, he just that's not one of his skills. <laughs> well, he did a good job of getting the key away from. Uh, Davy Jones in the last movie. Yeah, I suppose uh, it it took a couple extra steps, but he did get it eventually. <laughs> I, I I do agree with you though. Um, <laughs> one thing that I took note of was that they were mm -hmm. holding him underwater 
water from the beginning of this scene throughout. And I was thinking, well, why wouldn't he have been struggling and trying to break free? But I realized that if he was smart, he would have actually probably been as motionless as possible to try to conserve his oxygen as much as possible. Because mm. I always That's notice in underwater scenes in movies how they seem to be able to just hold their breath forever. And mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know if that was intentional on their part, but uh, good job. Good job on that, yeah. guys. <laughs> so they're, you know, they're just trying to pretend that they don't know Will. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know, self, which goes about as well as you'd imagine, because yeah. Elizabeth can't manage to keep a straight face. Mm-hmm. Which I can't blame her. Uh, well, because no. Salfang almost you know almost stabs him. Uh, but yep. then later on, Salfang notices that this other guy's tattoo is running. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of guys never tats, and <laughs> I just wrote, "Make sure your tats don't run." Um, you know, if you're doing undercover yeah, really, work, really terrible undercover work. Because uh, they were in this, you know, real steamy bathhouse or whatever you would mm-hmm. call it. Um, and I like Barbosa's line. He's like, South Fang is like, oh, I'm going to kill this guy. And I'm like, kill him. He's not our man. <laughs> Barbosa's and, like, okay. And then everybody realizes at the same time, if he's not with us and if he's not with you, and then mm-hmm. the, East India, the East India Trading Company breaks down the door. Mm-hmm. And there's a good good fight scene there. Of course, all the good guys manage to escape. Mm-hmm. We get to we get to further build up our uh, our sort of secondary antagonist with uh, what is his name the the right hand man of of Cutler Beckett that I can never remember. Uh, I think it's Mister Mercer. Yeah, I believe that's it. He he shows up and is is just horrible as he always is. Uh, He's got the <laughs> perfect face for it. Yeah, he's, his, he has a very hateable face. He's such a despisable character. Mm-hmm. I mean, so well acted. Oh, yeah. Just outstanding. Uh, um, yeah, and there's a, a point where he's actually hiding behind some stuff, and he's about to shoot either Will or Sao Fang, probably Sao mm-hmm. Fang, and then he hears them mention something about something that Beckett wants, and so that's what yes. stays his shot. Yeah, because throughout this movie, we... we uh, see that there's many different people all sort of angling for different uh outcomes to this conflict that are most beneficial to them and so there's there's not just two sides to the conflict there's i don't know 15 like it's 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 crazy Mm. (laughs) they do an interesting job of and we see this in um, norrington's uh, character i guess they mm-hmm. do an interesting job of putting you on the side of the bad guys, the guys who are liturg- literally pillaging and plundering the people, but mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. you want the bad guys, or the yeah. you know they're they're the protagonists, but you so you want them to win, but they're actually really terrible people in real life, uh, the uh-huh. characters anyway. I mean, yes, because I mean ultimately they are pirates. Uh, they're, they're not they're not good people. Mm. Um, just briefly jumping back to the, the acting, um, Davy Jones really stood out to me as an incredibly well acted character. And I don't know if that was on the part of his voice acting, if it was on the part of whoever played his mocap double, <laughs> I don't know if it was actually the, the same guy or not. Um, you know, I don't or know if it was on the part of the animators because there's some real deep emotions you can read on his face and oh, he's some of yeah. the stuff he says. And and we touched on it with our Pirates Two uh, review, mm. but yeah, he he's one of the best examples of a 
very heavily CGI'd character that still just conveys so much emotion. Yeah, and I I didn't quite agree with you so much in Pirates 2, but yeah, Pirates 3, he he really comes through and you really start to actually empathize mm-hmm. with his character and the position he's yeah, been put in. Yeah, it, it's it's possible that, that you're right, that doesn't happen as much until the third movie, but I, I watch them back-to-back, so mm-hmm. they, well, they, they run together for me. He gets a little bit more screen time and more close-ups in uh, number three, mm-hmm. and the detail, the level of detail on his face is just outstanding. That's going to hold up really well, I think, into the future. Yeah, I mean, it's already a, a rather old movie, and it still looks great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty good. The uh, special effects were well done, but they weren't overemphasized. Mm-hmm. Um, we then move on to the scene where they're sailing to the world's end after Saofang has agreed to give them a ship and a crew. Mm-hmm. And it's just a beautiful scene. They're sailing through these completely calm waters, and you can see the sky just perfectly reflected in the ocean. Everything is completely still. Somehow they're yeah. still moving along. Um, yeah, it's it's very, very visually interesting. Um, then we get to the icy area before they actually <laughs> fall off the edge of the world. And I love the little joke there where the guy breaks off his toe because everything is so cold. <laughs> oh, it's so hard to look at. I don't like it. It's. I mean, I do. It's. It's very good, but like, ugh. Yeah, it's one of those that makes you cringe, but it's so funny. Just too. the look on his face when it snaps off. He's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's just like everything is so oh, cold and frozen. His foot is just saddled. Oh, his toe just snaps off. Um, funny how that didn't happen to any of the other characters, though. Maybe they were just walking around more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Tia Dalma was wearing almost nothing, so I don't know how she didn't die. Except that that's she's a, a she's a, a powerful sea goddess. Or I was going to say it's know. later revealed that she is this sea god or whatever. So maybe that <laughs> had something to do with it. I liked when Pentel and Rigetti are la- are sitting there and. <laughs> Well, I, I can never remember who's who, but the the guy who loses his eyeball all the time is like, there must be mm-hmm. some reason for our suffering. When, uh, <laughs> why is it Pentel that doesn't lose his eye and Rigetti loses mm-hmm. his eye? I, I don't know. I'm going to go with that. Um, he's like, I, you know, what's what's the point of all this that we're going through? Why can't Tia Dalma just, uh, <laughs> just raise Jack from the dead like she did with Barbosa? And mm-hmm. Rigetti's just like, oh, there must be some reason. And she explains to them why she can't just raise him. He's like, yep. I knew there was a reason. See? <laughs> yes, it, and as it is explained, uh, Barbosa simply died, like most people do. Whereas Jack Sparrow, since his soul had been uh, claimed by Davy Jones and he was eaten by the Kraken and sent directly to Davy Jones' locker, which is mm-hmm. apparently harder to resurrect or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> we later learned that Davy Jones's job was to ferry the mm-hmm. souls that die at sea across to the other side yes um so i so don't know perhaps if... barbosa just didn't get ferried and that's why he was easy to bring back oh. and uh and jack sparrow had been specifically put in davy jones locker yeah so had jack reached his final destination so to speak um uh, sure where yeah. he would be tormented forever or uh-huh. Was he kind of in limbo because Davy Jones hadn't been doing his job? Uh, I think that that was intended to be his final destination because uh, Davy Jones put him there specifically. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, then they all fall off the edge of the world, and yep. uh, we get. I, I thought it was a weird little sequence of sound effects that they did there. It almost sounded like a the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Yeah, a little bit. And it kind of fades uh, out with Dead Men Tell No Tales. Mm-hmm. See, it's foreshadowing, because yes. is that the fifth movie? Yes, it is. It's called <laughs> Dead Men so. Tell No Tales. Think... Also a pretty good name for a, a Pirates movie. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I, I think that's the next movie. Uh, hmm. Not entirely certain on the order. Jack's dream world is just some kind of weird fever dream. I I mean, I don't know what you would expect anything less from yeah, Jack Sparrow. I, I don't know. I guess I didn't expect that. I don't know what I expected, but not that. So I don't know if you watched the behind the scenes or knew about this, but this scene amuses me so much because they actually had to call in as many people as they could who had vaguely the right body shape to look like Johnny Depp so that they could have a bunch of background Jack Sparrow sort of body doubles because part of the scene is an entire crew uh, like on this ship that you know, mm-hmm. are all Jack Sparrow. <laughs> yeah, I actually have not seen the behind the scenes because I didn't get the second disc with this movie. Mm, bummer. Usually, that's the uh, first thing I watch right after watching the movie. Right. But yeah. So yeah, I, the and and of course, all of them that are uh, sort of lingered on by the camera, it's just done with Johnny Depp recording and then splicing mm-hmm. together and everything. But a, f- a lot of the background characters are just people dressed up like jack sparrow <laughs> yeah i thought that was funny just seeing an entire ship crewed by jack sparrow and he's there yelling at himself and belittling mm-hmm. himself for doing a poor job of tying a knot or whatever it was he was doing and, and i think he kills two or three of himself i think at least two yeah um and his responses to himself are so in character <laughs> And then there's and, just and they all play slightly differently, which I think is interesting. Um, like they have different personalities. Ah, uh, yeah, well, different parts of his personality. I think mm-hmm. uh, is how I would uh, how I would describe that. Yeah. Uh, and then there's just this the scene that I don't know what it has to do with anything, but it's funny where mm-hmm. he's sitting on a bench. One of the one of the crew members, mm-hmm. one of the well, Jack Sparrow crew members, is sitting on a bench, and there's a goat like mm-hmm. four feet from him. He's just slowly moving closer and closer to this goat. Like he just wants to put his armor. So, so in, in response to your question about what the reason is behind it, I, I would like to direct you back to uh, the first movie in which uh, Will asks what the reason is for Jack's strange behavior. And Gibbs simply <laughs> says, reason's got nothing to do with it. Uh, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, that's why I didn't think too far into it, but I thought it was pretty amusing anyway. Oh, I'd love to have been in that that room where they were scripting this scene and just like, what is all the weirdest things that we can have a <laughs> ship full of Jack Sparrow doing? And then I love the reveal uh, where the camera is on him and then it turns around to reveal that there's actually nobody else on the ship and everybody else is mm-hmm. just a hallucination. Yeah, it's, it is a very good representation of the absolute madness that Jack is experiencing in his isolation. And then he ends up trying to swing it off the ship onto this completely white desert, mm-hmm. um, which reminded me a lot of Death Valley, which just yeah, has the it's, salt flats. It's just yep. flat salt everywhere. Featureless not nothingness. Which uh, I guess for... makes sense for a ship. It's maybe like a dried up ocean or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good representation of what I would imagine Davy Jones' locker being. Just, you know, nothing. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. 
I always just thought of it as being the bottom of the ocean, <laughs> just dark, well, crushing blackness. Um, well, that could work too. Maybe it's different for every person, though. To uh, maybe it's all maybe. their worst fears. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what the crabs had to do with anything either. The uh, the rocks that turn into crabs. You got me there. I have no idea. And the crabs that show up later in the movie are different crabs. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. But the crabs, um, as is done in many cartoons where, you know, ants will come and carry off a character or... Uh, <laughs> or perhaps in a, a movie known as Rango where a bunch of uh, little <laughs> beetles carry <laughs> the, the character played by Johnny Depp. There we go. I was just going to say, I think we talked about this in a previous episode. We yeah, did. It's very similar to that. These crabs just carry his ship mm-hmm. to the ocean. Yep, where he finds because well, he picks up a rock and just throws it, and then later the rock splits open to reveal that it was in fact a crab. Yeah, after uh, he, then, after he licks it and tells it to shoot and stop following him, and then he goes and uh, the the little crab goes and wakes up a, a small army of other little crabs who, for some reason, carry the black pearl back <laughs> to the ocean. Yeah, it's just a, a sea. I of don't know. Maybe there's some symbolism that... I'm missing here, but. I a sea of small funny. rocks that turn into crabs, but yes. I also thought it was funny that one or two of them were upside down as they morphed into crabs, <laughs> and they were just stuck there kicking. Just like, oh, no. It was funny. Save me. It was so good. Um, yeah, so then he's laying on the ground, and he sees his ship moving, and then it's just all these crabs moving his ship along, and then you just see him in his classic Jack Sparrow run chasing <laughs> after the ship. It's such a there. There's not a lot of dialogue throughout the whole exchange, uh, and it's it's so good. Mm. Like it, you could have cut most of this. Uh, first, mm-hmm. like it, not a lot of storyline happens here. You could have just said they go and they get Jack, and you could have cut to the 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 rescue party showing up on the shore and Jack being stuck in the locker. But the amount of development and comedy that happens just by sitting and watching Jack in Davy Jones locker for, I don't know how long the scene is, but it's, I also don't I, I think know, it was time well spent. I don't know what the peanut thing had to do with anything. I it comes up know. later too, but I don't think it means anything. It's, it's hard to say with these movies cause maybe it means something and maybe it's just, they thought it would be funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hard to say. I did also take note that you could, you could, uh, get a pretty good estimate for how hard that surface that white surface was that he was uh living on based upon the trail left behind by the crabs as they were carrying the ship and how the ship would have dragged through the, mm. uh, the mm-hmm. surface and they didn't leave a terrible deep uh, indentation so it would have been something very similar to rock and uh, yeah, i guess it's if, a it was, hard if it was hard salt that would that would make sense mm-hmm. um then he meets his rescue crew uh, composed yes. of Will, Elizabeth, and Mr. Gibbs, and uh, and his usual crew, Mr. Cotton and Marty, and then all the oh. Chinese guys. And, and I think the best the best way to describe this group is the way that uh, Jack refers to them as uh, four of you have tried to kill me in the past, and one of you succeeded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you succeeded, and he just looks at Elizabeth, and Will's like, what? You tried to kill him? Which is where that little bit of their relationship develops more mm-hmm. uh, we talked about that in our last review how of uh, parts two how he didn't know that and uh yeah he, he thought that she was falling in love with him when yeah mm-hmm. 
It's they they tie that up nicely in that I don't think it ever it should have ever been a conflict anyway because I hate conflicts based around pointless yeah. misunderstandings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there there was a scene though where he tried to talk to Elizabeth about it and she didn't want to talk about it for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So I, well, and there it's it's because they're on two different tracks. Elizabeth doesn't want to talk about it because she feels bad for killing someone, and mm-hmm. Will thinks she doesn't want to talk about it because she's in love with him. And mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Miscommunications are frustrating. <laughs> it's um, it it strikes me as being too similar to real life. I don't want yeah. I don't want that in my movies. Uh, that mm-hmm. is often my complaint about uh, bad guys and other things in movies. Um, mm-hmm. I love the part where he thinks they're all a hallucination, and uh, they're trying to tell him, no, this we're really here, we're going to rescue you. And he's like, well, being that I'm the one that has the ship, it seems that uh, you're the ones that need the rescuing. Oh, I think and, the, the, the funny bit before that is he asks Will if Will is currently engaged in a, in a, a plot to rescue Elizabeth, and Will, realizing that this is the first time, in fact, that he's not engaged in a plot to rescue Elizabeth, of course, says that he's not. And so Jack Sparrow's like, well, if you're not out to rescue Elizabeth, then you can't possibly be real, so you must be a hallucination. That is exactly <laughs> what I was leading up to. That was my favorite part there. Are you here to rescue some, trying to help to rescue some damsel in distress? Or distressing damsel. <laughs> <laughs> which also which also works, describing Elizabeth. Uh, um, yeah, that was yeah. so good i thought that was a great bit of self-awareness by the movie mm, Uh, (laughs) yes and then they're also um well it also plays into jack's strengths with a wording things in a funny way that actually Mm -hmm. makes sense if you stop to think about them Um, yeah but then they're explaining to him what happened and uh in the world (laughs) and why they came to rescue him and he's like leave you people alone for just one minute and look what happens the world's gone to parts he's just walks away in frustration (laughs) Yes, it's it's a very lovely scene of a bunch of, well, you know, because like I said earlier, there's basically everybody in this movie has a slightly different version of how they want this to end, but all of them need Jack and or the Black Pearl back for some reason or another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then you've got the, the group of Chinese sailors that haven't been saying anything the whole time. It's like, who are you guys? <laughs> who, whose side are you on? Well, we work for the highest bidder. I've got a ship. That makes that you the, makes highest, you the bidder. highest bidder. <laughs> and he's still on this thing of like, yeah, I'm doing fine by myself. I don't know why you guys came here to rescue me. Mm-hmm. And we see more of that later in a future uh, movie where he wants them to pay him for rescuing uh-huh. him. Yes, absolutely. So, so in character for Jack. <laughs> But yes, they do all eventually board the Black Pearl, having decided that they all need each other, and so they will all be rescuing each other. Uh, and that... Uh, captain uh, that Jack and Barbosa are going to have to continue to argue over who is in fact the captain of the Black Pearl. Mm. Yes, <laughs> I continue on in, in their just hilarious rivalry. I thought that was one of the best mm-hmm. things. Uh but now they are all on a ship in some water but uh still stranded in Davy Jones' locker and it will be a while before they can figure out how to actually get out. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Jack is looking at this map, which is something I think you wanted to talk more about in uh, this oh, review. Oh, yes. Well, we 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 have skipped over what I... Uh, if I were writing a report on this book, or this movie, the the thesis would be the, uh, the line that Will 
delivers when he's first trying to read this map. And it's it's this very cool interlocking series of rings that all rotate around and, and create different shapes of landmasses and, and different messages with little markings on the edges of the rings. And, uh, you know, there's a, a neat special feature segment talking about how they built this map. But uh, um, he complains, sort of as he's trying to interpret this map, that the map can't be as accurate as modern charts and one of Sao Feng's men who has come with them, you know, agrees with him and says, but it, it leads to, this map leads to more places. And I think that that's uh, a very much a recurring theme in this movie about how sort of in the, in the past, in, in the ocean of, of old legend, there was, there was more. And that throughout these movies and through modernization, things get more accurate and predictable and convenient but it loses that magic and that sort mm. of vastness that it, that it had and i think that's exemplified by this map where it it's nearly inscrutable to read but it it leads to more things there's more in it you know and then we also have the line later on where uh barbosa says that the world used to be a bigger place and jack says well no it's it's the same there's just less in it you know it's, mm, that was a very touching for some yeah. reason, it was very touching. He's like, no, the world's the same. There's just mm-hmm. less in it. Which uh, yeah, so could very I, I well be said at someone's funeral. Yeah, yeah. It absolutely could. It's It has a... You know, they, they win uh, at the end. Spoilers. But you still feel as though something has sort of been lost, I think. Which is... It makes, it makes the movie very touching and sort of melancholy in a way. Mm. That... Uh, that some of the magic of the sea is is being lost. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too deep into the philosophy of it, but so that was what I wanted to talk about with the map. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the map. Uh, I wish I could have seen the behind the scenes because that would have been really cool to see how the how the map was built. I mean, I know mm-hmm. how you would do it, but uh, trying to get something like that to slide the rings to slide together. Yeah. Well, without turning each other is uh, an interesting feat of uh, engineering. That's a, that's a movie prop that I wouldn't mind having a replica of. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, maybe we should uh, work on making one of those. Um, so then we get to the part where Jack finally realizes that they need to flip the ship upside down. Yes. And he's like, what's that he, over there? And he runs to one he, side. He reads on the map that just says up is down. And he mm. sort of looks at that for a while and tries to figure it out. <laughs> and and rather than trying to tell everybody, hey, we need to flip up the ship upside down, he just starts getting them to run back and forth across the ship. Like, what's that over there? <gasps> now it's over there. And they just fall for it. And then all of a sudden they realize he's rocking the ship and nobody uh-huh. has any idea why, but they follow him for some reason. I, I imagine that they're all just a little bit stir crazy after having sat on this boat for mm-hmm. what's implied to be at least a couple of days. <laughs> I, that would have been kind of a fun thing, though. Like, I, I just, I, I should say, I thought the scene was fun because as the ship comes more and more sideways, they have to end up holding onto the handrails as it almost uh-huh. goes over, and then it tips, and they got to run to the other side. And then at one point, one guy loses his grip and falls onto the rat lines on the other side, and then a cannon falls on top of oh. him. And, you know, he hits the rat lines, and you're like, oh, good, he's safe. And then the cannon falls on just him. Just, bam! Oh, just... So dead. Oh, you just... So you very cringe, dead. Along with all the other characters. Yeah, we actually get to see a lovely reaction shot of Gibbs just going, ooh! 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's exactly how I felt. Um, I did want to make a quick note. Oh, uh, Barbosa runs below deck, and he's like, loose the cannons and the cargo because they want it to shift. But I uh-huh. think the sh- the cargo shifting would actually dampen their effects. Um, trying to get the ship to rock, so it might be because it would have would have been out of sync with their running, and so it would have had a, the opposite effect. So that bothered mm. me a little bit. Um, Pentel and Rigetti uh, have this great idea that they're going to tie themselves to the mast upside down so that they'll be right side up when the ship flips over. So good because when the water finally <laughs> drains, and then they're upside down, there's <laughs> water draining. And I think Pentel, uh, I think he's kind of the the leader of the two. Yeah, uh, the the guy who doesn't lose his eyeball. We're going to go with that. Uh, he's just like, oh, this was your idea. You're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but he had been so completely on board with it when they first mm-hmm. uh, thought of it. And I think it's just great how two guys managed to tie themselves, you know, several feet off the ground, upside down to the mast with this massive rope. I don't know how they would have done it, but it was just very funny to me. Yeah. Very consistently good comic relief. They don't distract too much from the story, but they are very funny. Mm. Yes. We then move on to mm-hmm. the scene you were referring to earlier where they come across the Kraken on mm-hmm. shore. And it's just a massive Kraken. Such a I powerful Pen- scene. I love Pentel and Rigetti's. Uh, they're, they're just kind of in the background, but mm-hmm. Pentel's like, Pentel and Rigetti, Kraken Slayers. And they're just talking about like, selling tickets it. to the yeah. Kraken. And I think, I, I didn't catch it, but I thought you said once something about uh, you could sit on the Kraken and get your picture painted with it or something like that. Yeah. And, the, he, he, I think it's Rigetti is saying, you know, we could charge him to see it and then charge him more to get a picture, a, a painting of them sitting on it or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Was this in some little behind-the-scenes thing that I saw, or was this actually in the movie where they were talking about selling fried Kraken bits or something like that? Uh, I think he may say something about letting them carve off a slice as a souvenir. Hmm. Very funny scene. I really should go through it slowly and just listen to everything that they're saying yeah. in the background. Um, and I just have a quote written down here, and I can't remember what part of the movie it's from or what the context was, but there's a scene a part where somebody says to Jack, you're mad. And he's like, well, thank goodness for that. If I wasn't, this would probably never work. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, that happens on board uh, Beckett's ship, I think. Hmm. I, I have it still listed under the part where they're on the... Uh, the island, but... Uh, well, I mean, that happens that... just right after that, so... Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that must be where it was. I just wrote it down because I thought it was funny and describes exactly how Jack Absolutely. does things. <laughs> yeah, uh, so they... Yeah, they, they find the Kraken, and we sort of already talked about the little discussion that, that Jack and Barbosa have. Oh, although we did skip over uh, what I think is one of the the funniest visually scenes where right after leaving the locker and now that they're all you know in the real world where they can die uh they immediately all both uh, every character pulls out two different pistols one in each hand and points it at two different people on the ship (laughs) so you have this massive standoff that very visually illustrates 
the uh, what's going on in the story where everybody is out for themselves and for very different reasons and you can kind of actually see mm. a visual representation of who is currently allied with who. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and that even changes throughout their little argument. Yes, and right. as they as they shift around, they point at different people and <laughs> they all end up eventually pointing at them at Jack. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then did you pay attention to how that, that resolved itself? Uh, Obviously, yes. They all fired, and, and the powder was wet. And nobody died. <laughs> um, Jack actually fired the first shot he did. at Barbosa. He did. And uh, yeah, I thought that was just, I guess, very telling of his character and where he was and how desperate he was mm-hmm. to get back on track and back in control. Yep. Um, I have written in my character development section here how. In the last movie, Jack, I don't know, didn't, uh, I had more to say about it right after I watched and I can't remember specifically what I, what I said, Mm. but he didn't have as much to do in the last movie or he didn't, he wasn't in control of anything. And in this movie, he's like starting to get back control of little sections, Yeah. but everything he does is dictated by somebody else, every scenario that he ends up in. Mm -hmm. And he has to adapt and overcome to every scenario yeah. and he's not he's not planning everything out ahead of time like he did in the first movie mm-hmm. yeah he and i i think that a lot of that comes down to the fact that jack just really like he he looks like he's not really enjoying the idea of killing barbosa again but he's definitely willing mm-hmm. to because mm-hmm. he really doesn't like barbosa when it comes down to it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I just thought it was a very good scene, and I wish I had uh, more more things to say about it. But yeah, the fact that he fired first mm-hmm. was very, very important to what was going on there. Yeah, but yes. So then they end up on the island. They find the kraken, and then they see that while they have left Will in charge of the ship to go ashore, <laughs> uh, Sao Feng's ship has shown up, uh, as as well as the East India Trading Company ship, uh, <laughs> because Will has sold them all out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Barbosa and uh, Jack are arguing about who's going to go ashore and who's going to stay with the ship. And Will's just like, why don't you both go ashore and I'll stay with the ship? Because mm-hmm. who would suspect Will? And then he betrayed them. Yes, because as we remember How from the second he? movie, Will is desperately trying to mm-hmm. save his father from his imprisonment aboard Davy Jones' mm-hmm. ship. And for that, he needs the Black Pearl and he needs the help of Sao Feng and the East India Trading Company. Yep. Yep. So uh definitely a a turn for Will's character mm-hmm. or or a pivotal moment I should say cuz he's kind of heading that direction anyway. That was kind of his goal, yeah. but I mean he was kind of all about helping Jack to begin with. I mean he did help Jack escape from the gallows. Mhm. Um so the Brethren Court. Yes. What in the world is going on here? Is the, is there any kind of like historical basis for this or any kind of like uh, well, aside from several members of the Brethren Court being references to or inspired by actual historical pirates, I don't think that I think that a lot of this was invented by the movie. Um, you've got this group of pirates from all across the world that uh, sort of represent the heads of sort of fleets or or organizations of pirates in various seas around the world, and they all come together somewhat reluctantly because they all agree that there is a threat to their way of life 
uh, being presented by Davy Jones and Cutler Beckett. Yeah, and apparently the Brethren Court has been around for a while. It just mm-hmm. it seems odd to me that all these criminals would get together and work together on a common goal. Well, I mean, I think it's 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 very the movie goes out of its way to point out that it's very much out of necessity. Like none of them really wants to mm. work together, but they they sort of have to. Mm. And the yeah. they originally all worked together because they all wanted to tame the seas, air quotes, by capturing uh Calypso and and making their lives easier by <laughs> uh, removing her from her control over the sea. Yeah, and that gets referenced several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so they bound her up in a, a human's body, which is of course Teodoma. Yes. Um, very very strange character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. They don't really explain how the whole thing happened. Well, you know, uh, that's 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 a subject for another movie, I imagine. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, now I know there's something special between that one pirate king fellow and Jack. Is it that the actor is his actual dad, or is he supposed to be his dad uh, in the movie? Yes, he, he the um, Captain Teague, the keeper of the code. Uh, who shows oh, yes. up? That's what he was. Because they ha- there's a disagreement over what the code would say about a certain decision that the Brethren Court is trying mm. to reach, and so Captain Teague, and I believe he is. Oh shoot! You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up briefly. But he is a a musician of some sort, primarily. Um. Now the the actor, you mean? Yeah. Um, I think it actually is Jack's dad because he goes up to him and then he says, "How's mom?" Well, yeah, it, the the character is Jack Sparrow's father. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh yes, Rolling Stones member Keith Richards. Oh. Um, and Isn't the reason the they chose him, Johnny Depp modeled yes. his appearance after. Uh huh. Oh, that's so good. In, in the first so movie, they, they decided that they wanted to portray pirates as sort of uh, the 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 rock stars of the sea, and so Jack Sparrow model or uh rather johnny depp modeled jack sparrow after keith richards and then in this third movie they're like what if we got actual keith richards to play jack sparrow's dad and so they did <laughs> That's so, good. <laughs> so good um yeah so then he asks uh how's mom and he holds up this shrunken head mm-hmm. i don't know what that's referencing to i i it, i think that that's intentionally referencing something that we don't understand <laughs> Yeah, it very well could be, but it made me think of the Island of Cannibals. Yeah. Now we don't we don't get any sort of indication that they are head shrinkers, um, but that's what it made me think of, and I wondered if maybe there's more history to it. Like maybe there's a family history of being <laughs> involved with these. Cannibals that is interesting. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, the, Jack does seem to connect to tribes of native peoples on islands uh, a rather startling <laughs> amount. Uh, then they have their little vote over who should be the king, and uh, mm-hmm. Jack ends up voting for Elizabeth. <laughs> yes, because and... uh, as Barbosa narrates, all of the pirate lords always just vote for themselves. Uh, so yes, yes. Oh, we did gloss over the fact that uh, Elizabeth does in fact become one of the pirate lords after Saofang meets an untimely demise. Oh yes, that is very important to why she is even there. Yes, I, I don't he because she he thought she was Calypso. Yes. And he was going to, I guess, kill her and free her from her, her earthly bonds. Uh, to be... I don't know what his intentions were. I, I 
I can assure you they were not strictly honorable to <laughs> to mirror a line that Barbosa has earlier. <laughs> yes, yes, they definitely were not, and I, I think that was his intent eventually, it was to kill her and yeah. set her free from her earthly bonds mm-hmm. after probably some other nefarious things. Yeah, Southland gets real um, creepy so- for a while right before he dies. Yeah, and then he then there's this little death scene, and he makes her the next Black Red Lord. Yep, and so she gets to kill along, and and I don't know how that passes along, because she just well, he, tells the other guys that yeah, he just made me the captain. Well, he gives her like, he gives oh, yeah. her his necklace, which is his his magic piece of eight. So I suppose that must be yeah. a you know a signifier of being the captain or something. I don't know. Yeah, but how do they know he didn't she didn't just steal it from him? Uh well, there there is a bit of conflict there that we see where the crew member initially doesn't want to believe her and then she sort of proves herself mm-hmm. to them through her actions uh as their ship is taken over by Davy Jones and whatnot. So I don't know. Mm. And I have that kind of noted a little bit later on under Elizabeth's uh character development throughout these films mm-hmm. she starts off as a pretty useless character in the first film uh-huh. she's just kind of there she doesn't fight very well uh and then by this film she's just a great leader she's got a great presence she just shows up and she tells people what to do and they do it she and uh, she grows into the pirate king by the end of these movies <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. she just kind of uh adapts that role and becomes very good at it i guess it, it seems very natural yeah um the movie's just very well acted all around but i think her character for sure and, and all the other main characters mm-hmm. you, you get a lot of good successful movies that will still have one or two people that's just kind of are stiff in their acting yeah no this these movies um, definitely don't have that problem her especially since we're talking about her just very well acted character mm-hmm. through throughout all the, the series i absolutely agree yeah, so then she gets voted as the pirate king, <laughs> and everybody's just all upset. Uh-huh. <laughs> they want, they're like, no, you can't do that. You have to vote for yourself. Um, I, I'm trying to remember exactly why Jack voted her as the pirate king. I think it was mostly just that she had the values most in line with what he was yeah, doing Yeah, I think that that's nobody, definitely... He wasn't going to get anybody to vote for him, mm-hmm. so he figured he better pick somebody else that was gonna do what he wanted yeah jack very purposefully and i think it's interesting that uh and i may be reading too much into it but right before jack calls for a vote he intention he he walks from one end of the room to the other and then sort of stops and i believe he stops at a specific point so that he will vote last when barbosa inevitably starts the voting first because then he is able to choose whoever he wants because everyone has voted for themselves. That's very clever. <laughs> I didn't notice that he actually did that intentionally. I thought that was just a little plot point that the movie just glossed over. Very good, very good. But yes, as I part of his little speech, he walks over and stands at the other end of the table. <laughs> mm. I, I also wanted to make a note of how in the first movie they uh, treat the pirates' code sort of flippantly, mm-hmm. like oh, actually they're just more of guidelines. But then once they're all together in the uh, the brethren court, they treat it with the utmost respect. Mm-hmm. Anything it says goes, and uh, it's like how a lot of people treat their religion. <laughs> like in in real life, they're like ah, whatever. It's just guidelines. I thought that was funny. Yes. There are more of guidelines, really. And then Patel and Rigetti are there, and they're like, oh, the, 
The code. Code's code set down by Morgan and Bartholomew. I don't know if that's supposed to be Morgan and Bartholomew that carry this giant tome in. Uh, probably not. not. But, uh, I don't think they're that old, but maybe. Yeah, I don't think they're supposed to still be alive. No. There was two guys that carried it in. Mm-hmm. I also thought that just the design of that tome was really oh, good. Oh, it's so good. It, It's just a giant book that's got... You know, speaking of a hardbound book, this pretty much has boards for the front and back of it, uh-huh. and then a heavy lock and some heavy kin- some heavy hinges. Yeah. To uh, oh, you you really should get a hold of the the second disc for this movie because they also have a bit on on the, how they designed that book, the the prop, mm. and they actually had to um, they had to remove a big section of it because it was too heavy for I think it was uh, <laughs> Keith Richards to actually open. During the scene mm. when he has to open it, <laughs> and I loved how the pages just had that very antique look. Everything was handwritten. Mm-hmm. The ink was slightly faded. Things were stained. It's just like this book's been around forever, and people have been writing in it forever. Yeah, just a great. It's great. It's another example of how these movies tended to go to to really go beyond where they really had to for that level of detail. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so then uh, Elizabeth finally decides that they're all going to go out and fight because that was what uh, they were debating, whether or not they should shelter in place mm-hmm. in this, what I can only assume is a volcano that filled up with water in the center yeah. that they could get into. It's pretty much nigh impenetrable uh, from the outside. Uh, they decided to go out and fight, <laughs> and they see on the horizon there's, like, one East India Trading Company ship, and they're like, oh, no problem, and then there's, like, a thousand of them that appear. It's like, slight I problem. Thought a, <laughs> I thought it was a little over the top, the number of ships that they had, but um, then they have this little meeting on this tiny island that's just a, pretty much a sandbar mm-hmm. in the middle of the ocean, and I thought it was... It was just it was so good the way they did that it reminded me of a face-off in some kind of western movie yeah and the music that they had playing over the top of that mm-hmm. was so good and it's sort of like an electric guitar riff it's it's very yeah. neat mm-hmm. and so you had let's see beckett mm-hmm. um davy jones and will yep right yep on the one side and then elizabeth jack and Barbosa on the other? I believe so, yes. I don't know what the purpose of their little negotiation there was because they just exchange people. <laughs> I don't know if Will was their prisoner. I don't think he was. He, so he's just like, yeah. But Not necessarily. Well, we take Will. And then they're like, okay, send us Jack. <laughs> like, the game Red Rover almost. They're like, yeah, we'll give you one guy, you take our guy. Uh, or we'll take your guy. Uh-huh. And I loved that they had Davy Jones standing in a bucket of water because he couldn't come on shore except every 10 years. Uh That was so good. Which does throw some sort of plot holes into his whole thing because he can only come ashore every 10 years, but why don't he just have his crew carry him on shore in a bucket of water? (laughs) He can do whatever he needs to do on shore. It's true. He can can buy his groceries uh, once a year or whatever he needs to do. So while we're in this scene, I have a question to put to you. Hmm? Um that cuz when i was watching the scene i couldn't decide how i felt about it so i want your opinion so during this scene right towards the end when they've decided that jack is going to go with with the east india trading company mm-hmm. and we've already established that barbosa his motivation his goal is to collect all of the pirates pieces of eight so that he can free calypso because he thinks that calypso will help them defeat the east india company mm-hmm. and now jack 
just before he goes over to the other side, takes his hat off and bows to King Elizabeth, leaning towards Barbosa. Barbosa then cuts off Jack's piece of eight that is attached to his head, where we have seen him sort of futzing with it in scenes before. It's this little coin mm-hmm. on the end of a beaded rope. Now, is this an intentional move by Jack to give the piece to Barbosa covertly, or is Barbosa just taking advantage of the scene that is occurring in front of him? Oh, <laughs> I hadn't put much thought into it. Um, I figured Jack just kind of he did his little bow because he respected Elizabeth, mm-hmm. and then of course Barbosa took advantage of that and cut it off. And then Jack was just like, well, I'm going to die anyway. I don't need that thing. So he just left it on the sandbar. Right. Kind of how I read that. Mm-hmm. But I can see how it would have been intentional. It kind of comes back to the whole, do you think he plans it all out or just makes it up as he goes along? Yeah, I suppose. You know, How deep is Jack's plan really running it's, here? It's true. You never know. Um, also, you'll notice on, this is just a little bit of um, insight into the way coins have been made throughout history. Mm. You'll notice that all the other pieces of eight have thick edges mm-hmm. from where the design is. It's just like a probably a pre-measured weight of metal and it's got design stamped in it. It's not always on center. Yeah. Um, an early form of I don't I don't want to say counterfeiting, but a way of stealing uh, from <laughs> money was that thieves would take a knife and shave off the very edge of the coin, mm-hmm. especially, you know, something like that where it's a little off-center, a little oddly shaped, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, I could do that to a couple hundred coins and you got a little, you know, pound of gold or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that Jack's coin was shaved all the way down to the design, mm-hmm. and uh, it's obviously changed quite a few hands and people have shaved quite a bit of money, have quite a bit of silver off of it as compared to all the other pieces of eight that Beckett had collected in his ship. Yeah, it is very, it's, that is a, that is a great detail that I definitely didn't notice. And that is why coins have uh, those little ridges on the edges, which are, I, I believe it's just called knurling. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, so once it gets too worn down, they get taken out of circulation. Huh. Cool. Yeah, so they do their little exchange, and I don't, I can't remember, did they put Jack below deck like what was the point they yeah they they put him they put him below decks i think it's just sort of a side benefit because uh, you know like like we keep talking about everybody's got their own motivations uh Mm. davy one of davy jones motivations is he wants to get jack uh back into the lock and into his locker because (laughs) he has escaped somehow and uh so i think that they exchange for jack just sort of to to make davy jones happy Okay, maybe that was it. And yeah, I like the, the whole thing about uh, Jack will just taunt him a little bit about how he has escaped. Uh-huh. Very good. Um, um, oh, a point we need to go back to that we missed that oh, shoot. Uh, All right. I wanted to discuss was when Will was leaving a trail for the East India Trading Company to find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, to follow the ship. I can't even remember what point it came out in the story, but like it was after some little skirmish or whatever, and they had an excess of dead bodies on the ship. And so Will was tying them to barrels and throwing them overboard yeah. throughout the night, and which I thought was rather clever because then they, they all end up with a little tower of seagulls mm-hmm. circling above them, and then the ships behind can find them. Maybe that was a, a commonly used strategy. I don't know. But I I thought it was clever, and it played well. And then... Jack catches him in the middle of the night mm-hmm. 
and they have this little discussion about uh, <laughs> Will's betrayal of them. And uh, Jack's uh, like, you, you notice the thing that is missing? And it's like, you haven't raised the alarm? Mm-hmm. Oh, doesn't I, it? I don't, <laughs> I don't quite get what the the whole point of all that was. I, somehow, Will's betrayal played into Into Jack's, Jack's goals? Well, okay, so... And this is where the it's it's actually genius i think because you have two two elements here you have the fact that everybody has their own slight mod slight variation on how they want things to turn out and then you have jack who until the very end of the movie hasn't really decided what he wants to happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so it, instead of just deciding what he wants to happen, Jack decides that he's going to sort of play 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 things as open as he can. And so one mm. of his his goal is to just get everybody together at Shipwreck Cove, so presumably so that he can then decide how he wants things to turn out, and he has enough confidence in his own abilities and luck that he'll be able to make it happen regardless of what's going on. <laughs> And so yeah. he encourages Will to bring Beckett to Shipwreck Cove so that Jack can then decide, do I want to stab the heart of Davy Jones and become, you know, the the new Davy Jones? Do I want to sell out all the pirates and work for the East India Trading Company? Do I want to, like, all of these different things? And so it it's, it's an interesting way to keep the movie v- sort of unstable uh, because all of these people are pursuing their own goals and then here's Jack just messing with everybody's goals because he doesn't know what his goals are. <laughs> mm. It's kind of like in certain certain card games or board games where you just kind of collect a little bit of everything and then all of a sudden you decide mm-hmm. what... Boy, I'm not thinking of a specific game here, but like, you know, you're trying to get all of this or all of that and you just yeah. kind of collect a little of everything and then all of a sudden everything lines up for you and you just go for, for one of the options. Well, and it does, it makes Jack look... Uh, it, it makes Jack's character look really uh, intelligent in a way because mm. that is that is the mark of someone who's very, very confident in their own skill at, you know, to sort of simplify this to a game, that they're willing to keep their options open like that. Mm. Also, that scene made me really respect Jack as a leader because rather than being like, hey, <laughs> Will's up to no good, go watch him uh-huh. uh he just he just uh you know hit himself amongst the rigging and and watched himself he's like he's that good supervisor that that'll come out and, and work with the the troops so to speak or, or do some of the the hard work himself yep and he's the captain of this ship he could have told anybody to do it he could have had will executed but instead he's just like hey Hey, dude, I see the, the bad things you're doing to us. <laughs> and then he breathes on him and Will falls overboard. Uh, uh, which is a good callback to his, his bad breath mm-hmm. from the first movie. Uh, anyway, thought that was a good scene. Uh, I thought it was very important to the plot, but I wasn't entirely certain why. Yeah, it's... Well, and I'm not even sure if that's the correct like you know, like reading of that scene, but that's kind of how I mm-hmm. see it. Yeah. Um also wanted to talk uh, I kind of mentioned it briefly before but uh, Davy Jones's character mm-hmm. development and also Beckett's mm. uh, Beckett is just such a 
I, I don't think he's developed much as a character. He still has the same goals of taking over the sea. Yeah. But he's just becoming more and more in power, and he's such a calculating bad guy, but you don't think of him as a, like, like this cold calculating bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's just calculating, and he has what he, he's doing, what he thinks is right. And he's just very calm and in control all the time. You know, I haven't actually he's... thought about this until until you said it that way, but he's an interesting parallel to Jack Sparrow in a lot of ways. Hmm. Yeah, just with a lot less uh, odd movements. <laughs> yeah, but but they're both, you know, they're physically not, you know, good fighters or powerful leaders mm-hmm. or anything, but they're both very smart, and they both accomplish their goals through sort of accounting for everything and planning and scheming and all of this stuff. And so it's, you know, and often the best villains are sort of a reflection of the heroes in their story. So I think that that mm-hmm. very much plays out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, his his character is so good. He's one of those bad guys that you res- respect him for the quality job that he's doing. Yeah, um, He's not like a despicable bad guy. Um, he, yeah, like you said, he's got a plan. Everything is laid out. You can see it all laid out on this table. He's got the pieces of eight all lined up neatly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tell he's very OCD. <laughs> but uh, I like, like, he's just completely in control of every situation he walks into, and mm-hmm. there's just nothing that intimidates him. But he's not arrogant. He's just in control. Yeah. Um, and we see that when he walks up board the Flying Dutchman to uh, call Davy Jones out on the, the poor job <laughs> that he's doing because he's now under Beckett's control since Beckett has his heart. Mm-hmm. And Beckett's like, we need prisoners to interrogate. And that tends to work better if they're alive. <laughs> <laughs> Davy Jones is like, the crew of the Flying Dutchman do as their captain commands. And then Beckett's like, and the captain commands what he is commanded to mm-hmm. do or something like that. Um, or does as he's commanded. Yeah. And, uh, and you, this is where Davy Jones's acting comes in so good. And again, I don't know who to credit here, yeah. the, the voice actor or the physical actor or the, uh, the animators, but like, he won't make eye contact with Beckett the whole time. You can tell he's just kind of this, like, he's so reluctant to do what Beckett's telling him to do, but Beckett has him over a barrel and he's just got to do yeah. what he's told to do. Be- even Beckett though has all the cards, you know, the ultimate power in the seas Mm -hmm. he's such he's he's in such an uncomfortable position and you can just see that in how he acts yeah i just i thought it was so good he just he's so reluctant to do it but he knows he has to Mm -hmm. oh yeah his character is so much more complex than i had ever really realized before yeah i I think that that's that's true with a lot of people in this movie like that there's depth to almost every character on screen. Yeah, yeah. I think the Pirates movies did a really good job of that. There's, you get some background characters that come in and out, but mm-hmm. there's nobody that's just, like, pointless yeah. to the movies. Everybody is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones who aren't, and, nobody and the ones who are pointless die pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, there's nobody that's just introduced uh. and, be, you know, you get to know about them, and then all of a sudden they just kind of disappear. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody that you learn about is important and have a part to a role to play. And they have the, they're acted well and they have sort of a satisfying story. It's, it's a, mm, yeah, it's, it's yeah, what makes I, these I love movies to go back good, to I the think. old anchors from the first film, like Mr. Cotton or uh, Marty, just the two mm-hmm. old crew members that are just with Jack or Mr. Gibbs. Yeah. Um, so then 
jumping forward again to after their little sandbar rendezvous mm-hmm. uh, when the battle's starting. So at this point, how many uh, how many ships brigs has uh, Jack Sparrow been in? <laughs> at least because it's it's two, a lot three <laughs> in this movie anyway yeah quite a few uh-huh. i've been locked up quite a few times and didn't what was it was it jack that escaped and somebody made comment about how he's getting rather good at that or something like that uh, i think it it's actually will earlier escaped? when when jack has will thrown in the brig and then his first line to him when he's throwing the bodies overboard is that he escaped the brig even faster than he expected that's it okay mm-hmm. yep that's uh that's where that came in i thought that was so good it's so funny um so they're they're getting ready to start their battle and, and elizabeth now has the job of uh convincing everybody to go into battle and this is where she starts that great speech that you were referencing yes. earlier uh on the tier and, list of speeches this one falls distinctly below most speeches from lord of the rings but that is a very high bar uh it definitely falls in the in the upper middle i would say <laughs> okay. Uh, for a second, I thought you meant tears shed. Oh no, the, the uh, tear list. Tier. That's a yeah. That's and a I good was point. actually. Uh, you know, yeah, you can judge a good good speech by how how much it makes you tear up. And actually, I didn't tear up at all in this movie, so that's uh, a mark against it. Ah, uh, well, um, you're you're of a more stony heart than I am because I definitely did. I mean, maybe well, not, see, not 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 on my most recent watch. I've seen it quite a few times, but. <laughs> Well, see, I loved number one, and then I thought number two and number three were just kind of meh mm. before, and I actually have come to appreciate them much deeper now because of this podcast and me actually paying attention to <laughs> the complex characters and things that are going on in them. And although I think that they are mostly a money grab, I think they're fairly well done, mm. uh, even though the story is not as interesting as number one. Yeah, yeah that's fair. We, so, I mean, we can talk anyway. about the series as a whole once we're finished with our... Mm-hmm. sort of nitty-gritty here yeah um so yeah then as i brought up before elizabeth has, has really grown into her leadership role she's kind of got that presence as well she comes on scene and she's just in charge of the situation mm-hmm. um, which i thought was done very well it can be done very poorly by people who want to just yell a lot or tell people what to do and just have that arrogant attitude she didn't have that she just had the the in control mm-hmm. confident attitude which is you can see that in real life, like the the people that you respect the most, the supervisors that you respect the most, uh, at jobs or other situations. You can always tell the ones who are are actually good at their job and in control versus the ones who are just acting yeah. in control uh, and just want to tell everybody what to do. So I, I just thought it was well acted because that could have been done poorly, which it, it has been done in many movies yes. poorly. Um, but then also just as a character was a good way to portray her character as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very good speech. Um, uh, I think we would do it poor justice by just going over it. Go look it up on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it somewhere. If you haven't seen the whole movie, um, cause we can't be bothered to look up the actual words and, and tell them. To well, but I mean, I, I don't know if I'm really <laughs> willing to, to deliver that speech the way that would, in a way that would do uh, it justice. I don't know if I could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Go look it up. <laughs> um, I also had a note, just kind of as characters developed, how Will and Elizabeth were kind of, they started off as well-respected folks in the town that they lived in, Mm -hmm. along with Norrington. Mm -hmm. Uh, They all started off as well-respected in their communities, and slowly throughout the first... 
<laughs> yes, and and Will's goal was to kill pirates. Yes. He said that's why he practices three hours a day, so he, when he meets a pirate, he can kill him. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes a pirate sympathizer, because <laughs> he gets to know Jack in the mm-hmm. first movie, and so does Elizabeth. And then you could say in the second, and then for sure in the third movie, they have totally become pirates themselves. Yeah. And Beckett goes from being... I mean, he just got promoted to um, Commodore. I'm sorry, Norrington, mm-hmm. not Beckett. Norrington just got promoted to Commodore and in the first movie. Yeah. And then in the second movie, you see that he has completely lost his way and is living with the pigs on Tortuga. Uh-huh. Um, I still want to know the story. Something to do with a hurricane, and he sailed through it, I guess. Yes. Lost his rank, I, I assume, um, in his relentless pursuit of justice. <laughs> So then he's just completely cast out, and but then he wins his way back to Beckett's heart by delivering a heart mm-hmm. of J.B. Jones. Uh, so he gets you know appointed to the same or higher rank, yeah, um, and he becomes one of the good guys again, so to speak, um, even though he's on the antagonist side. And right. then he has his scene where. Let's see. They they've all the prisoners have all escaped from Beckett's ship, mm-hmm. and they're let's see they're they're towing the Black Pearl behind them. I think they're towing Southing's ship. Oh, that's what it was. Um, so then they're all climbing across the lines mm-hmm. to get to Southing's ship and make their glorious escape. And well, because uh, Norrington sets them free from the from the brig. Oh, that's because how they escape. That's he, right. Yeah. He says to Elizabeth because he's choosing a side. He's decided that he has chosen the wrong side, uh, and mm. he's uh, making an intentional decision to go against his previous you know, actions of just trying to do, uh, just sort of trying to regain his position, and instead he's doing what's right he, the way he sees it. Yeah, and there's you know there's the the protagonist and the antagonist, and of course you can have you know your mm-hmm. your protagonist can be a bad guy like Jack. I mean he's a pirate yeah. and he steals from people and kills them, uh, but he's our main character that we like and we want to succeed in the movie. Right. But if you're talking about right and wrong, I would say Norrington and Beckett are probably on the side of right because they're trying to yeah. rid the world of these pirates who are thieves and scoundrels i I think that there are people on their side who are in the right but i think that the movie does enough to establish nor or beckett as being actually morally in the wrong because he you know he has tons of people killed he's this merciless cruel Mm. individual who's not really out to enforce law and order as much as he is to gain himself power and and riches yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess his goal of ridding yeah. the world of pirates is good, but yeah, he's going about it the wrong way. He's has, very much you know, sort of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, whereas yes. our protagonists are kind of doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. <laughs> well, it's one of those, the the ends don't justify the means yeah. in this case. Yeah. He's going about it all wrong. Um, and yeah, I think he is, yeah, he's he's definitely a greedy character, but he's on the side of right yeah and that's and that's um, where it gets confusing because you know he's he's the good guys he's the, the pi- pirates are bad and he's trying to protect people from pirates but is he really or is uh, he just trying to make himself more powerful <laughs> yeah and then there's norrington who i think has 
his heart in the right place through the entire movie. He's on the good guy's side because he's mm-hmm. fighting against the corruption of the pirates. Yeah. But then he makes the decision. He makes the right decision to set the pirates free. Uh-huh. Now, I can see maybe he's got some personal responsibility to the people that he cares for or something like that, an argument yeah. that he made there. So, I don't know. Just thought that was maybe poorly done or... Well, and I think what really does it, it is when we see that when when he finds out that uh, that Beckett has had uh, Elizabeth's father killed just because mm-hmm. he was looking into Davy Jones and whatnot and had, quote, you know, ru- his usefulness had run his course, run its course. <laughs> and I think that that sort of convinces Norrington that though Beckett may be on the side of, of justice and law and order, he's not a, a good person. And so... Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is very true. Um, that was a rather heartless killing. Yeah. Because um, he was just he was like a secretary or whatever on the ship. Yeah, because Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's dad is then... like, he's just a, he never does anything even like kind of wrong. He's just <laughs> a really good guy. <laughs> yeah, he well, he doesn't really do much of anything at all. But yeah, he's mm-hmm. just, he's on the side of right the whole time, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then Beckett's like, yeah, just make him disappear pretty much. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was... Uh, pretty uh so yeah the the character of james norrington is is very interesting and i think he sort of is the exemplary viewpoint of how the movies are sort of strange about how they treat morality and how our protagonists are pirates and all of that stuff he's he's the sort of the pivotal character for that aspect of the story Hmm. And I guess it's good to have that character that mm-hmm. acknowledges that, like, yeah, our protagonists are not good guys. Yeah. Uh, but neither are our antagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he ends up dying in what I thought was a rather disappointing death. Like, he it is, is just it like, is yeah. disappointing. Elizabeth's like, come with us. And he's like, I don't know if I should. And then they just stab him and he's dead. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's disappointing, but he does he does get to have that last moment of where... Uh, Davy Jones comes up to him and delivers his sort of trademark line of, you know, do you fear death? And it, to which Norrington responds by stabbing Davy Jones. <laughs> yeah. 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 I thought that was good. Um, kind of reminded me of the scene with Jack and, uh, uh Barbosa in the cave where they each stab each other. Yeah. <laughs> and then we find out Jack stole the medallion. But yeah, I love that he started his little, uh, do you fear death recruitment? Mm-hmm. Uh, recruitment speech and norrington just nope (laughs) (laughs) guess not all right now that we've talked about all of the character development we can finally move on to the climax of the film the Uh, giant fight scene oh it's or actually i suppose we should talk about the freeing of calypso first yeah uh yeah it's the freeing of calypso calypso is the storyline that doesn't really land for me in this in this absolute mess of a web of stories where everything mm-hmm. everything else I, I either really really like or I can at least see the purpose but there's so much build up to Calypso and to this like she wants revenge on the pirates for trapping her in this body but also she resurrected Barbosa so that he could you know get her freed and then Barbosa thinks that she's going to kill the East Indy Trading Company and she talks to Davy Jones about how she's going to get revenge and then it all culminates in she gets real big, turns into crabs falls into the ocean and makes a big whirlpool and yeah. that's it 
Yeah. It's like, it's, what? It was very disappointing. <laughs> um, yeah, everybody's talking about what they think she's going to do, but nobody ever bothers to ask her yeah. what her thoughts are and which side she's on or try to make a deal with her. It's, like, hey, we'll set you free if you do this. It, it takes up <laughs> so much time, and it goes nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And her character like she doesn't seem like she's trying to be freed she like doesn't even mention it she's not like hey you should do this thing to free me she's just there Mm -hmm. and they never talk to her really too much about the fact that she's calypso except for when davy jones comes to visit her Mm -hmm. um yeah i i don't know i just did not uh care i didn't care for tia dalma as a character in the first place you know and then i like her in the second movie i think she's kind of funny i think she's got a a unique sort of aesthetic to her but her as calypso just never really lands for me Mm. yeah yeah like you said she turned into crabs and they weren't the same kind of crabs as in jack's (laughs) dream so it's not like they were even necessarily related so i don't know what's going on there yeah uh if i had a complaint with this movie i think it's it's that whole plot line because like it some elements of the setup are really good i like the i like that she and davy jones have the same little locket or like music box that plays this Mm -hmm. very heartfelt little song and there's definitely potential like the scene where she's talking to davy jones is pretty good where she oh where she touches his chest and he turns back into a human for a moment and they've got this Mm -hmm. this deep story that we only sort of see the surface of but it 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 never really quite sticks the landing for me yeah um on the note of the lockets Mm -hmm. uh that actually is important right before they go over the edge of the world because uh, Will all of a sudden notices she's wearing the same locket as Davy Jones, and he suddenly realizes she might just be taking them to Davy Jones's locker, <laughs> just uh-huh. taking them straight there. Um, and that's when he's like, "Turn the ship around!" And then they he tries to to save the ship from going over the edge of the world, but it's too late. Yep. Um, so then we have our great battle scene, it, and, and it is a uh, great battle scene. I'll tell you what. There were some good moments in it. I thought overall it was a little ridiculous with a gigantic whirlpool in the middle of the ocean and the clouds all spinning above it and these two ships just kind of going in and out. Uh-huh. Um, I see, that's I just because you hate fun. That were... <laughs> yeah, 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 you could you could say that. It's got its own merit just for the fun of it. But, um, I mean, there were some good little, you know, sword fights in between and some people swing in between ships on ropes mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, and then at some point the masks get intertwined and they get stuck together and they're about to go down. Yeah. Well, okay. So I will agree with you that the the fight, absent the story that's being told sort of interspersed throughout it, does drag on perhaps a little too long. Um, the spectacle of it, I think, is spectacular. I think the effects look pretty pretty solid. There's maybe a little bit too much sort of rain and fog obscuring things for my taste. But other than that, it's it's pretty great. The the sword fighting choreography, as has been the case throughout these movies, I think is very good. Um, but I think it could have either had more going on or been a little bit shorter. Because mm. absent the story beats that are happening, you know, with Jack trying to get the the heart of Davy Jones and Will and Elizabeth getting married, I guess, in the middle of the fight. <laughs> um, and all of these things going on. Uh, it, it's... It could have it could have maybe been tightened up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's where Will and Elizabeth finally work out what's been 
could be coming between them as a, a wedge with the wedge that's been driven between them. They're just finally like, in a couple of seconds, they're like, oh, hey, we still love each other. Let's get married right before we die. Yeah. So then they tell Barbosa to marry them, and he's like, I'm a little busy at the moment as he's fighting like two or three sea monsters I, off. I do really like that scene. I think it it's a little bit tonally inconsistent at the moment, but it, it it's just so fun. <laughs> Barbosa's character is just so good, though. He's It's just so funny the way he does that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so I have yeah. I have another little bit of perhaps over analysis of a scene, uh, but mm-hmm. in uh, during this battle after Jack escapes from the brig, first of all using the same technique that Will uses at the beginning of mm-hmm. the first movie to spring him out of jail, uh, which is yeah. a nice no, little and callback. I think we should specify for some reason it's just the two ships that are fighting. It's the Black Pearl, right, and, and the, the Flying, Flying Dutchman. Dutchman. Yeah, yeah, and all of the East India Trading Company's thousand ships are just kind of hanging back, and all the other pirate ships are just hanging back, I guess. Well, I, I think that's because there's a massive whirlpool between the two of them, and nobody else wants to get well, involved. You, they could just go around. But yeah, yeah. So it's just these two ships in, entwined in the, this fight. Anyway, I just mostly um, wanted to clarify what ships we're talking about here. Yes, yes, you're right. So uh, Jack is aboard the Flying Dutchman, uh, where we have seen previously that um, Beckett has put the heart of Davy Jones under guard on the ship. And Jack escapes from the brig and finds the heart being guarded by the same two soldiers that were guarding the ship in Port Royal that Jack eventually stole. And Mm. so we have the first movie beginning with Jack stealing a ship. (laughs) Davy Jones from the same two soldiers. (laughs) <laughs> it was so good. He gets him arguing with themselves, and he just walks off with the chest. <laughs> yep. In, in and the same we see at the end that he just... snuck aboard the ship. Yeah. Um, at the end, we just see they're just like, well, I guess we don't have a job in the Royal Navy anymore, and they end up becoming pirates at the end of the movie. Yes. They just kind of, at the end of the fight, they just come above board in pirate garb, like they've just spent the time finding a new wardrobe, and they're like, well, I guess we're with you guys now. <laughs> oh, those two are so great. And then we see them later on, of course, uh, fat and happy on Barbosa's ship, I think, in mm-hmm. one of the, the In the movies. fifth movie? I can't remember for sure. You have to tune in to the next couple of episodes. To yeah, make sure you make sure you don't miss those. <laughs> um, Jack's little parachute uh, stunt was a bit ridiculous, where he pretty much just kind of like rips a sail off of the mm. ship, and he's oh, holding now we all can't four we can't lines. just skip to that because some things some important things happen on the Flying Dutchman before Jack parachutes away. Okay, um, namely, uh, Will gets stabbed. Oh yes, and yes. Uh, Jack, who is has finally decided how he wants things to tra- to to resolve. He's decided that he wants to become the new Davy Jones by stabbing the heart. Is mm-hmm. is about to do it. He has he has unlocked the chest. He is, you know he found the key. He got the chest. He's about to accomplish his goal, and then as he's sort of gloating to Davy Jones, Davy Jones stabs Will, and so Jack making d- deciding to to sacrifice his goals grabs will's hand and stabs the heart with with it to in order to save will by mm-hmm. making him into the new davy jones and then he and yes. elizabeth leave the ship 
that was very important for Jack's character arc because we saw what a just a terrible rotten person he was in the last movie and here he's finally decided to do the right thing to save his friend yes and he was really thinking about not doing it but he made the right decision in the end Mm -hmm. and it's yeah it's it's such a great Um, moment and speaking of him unlocking the chest so obviously the key has been gotten back from beckett Uh, apparently was actually mr mercer that was carrying the key and there's a point in the movie where things start to turn and Davy Jones breaks free from Beckett's control just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mercer is there overseeing things, I guess. Uh-huh. But Davy Jones turns and looks to him and then just, like, grabs his face with his tentacles oh. <laughs> and kills him. It's so one the gruesome. Most, one of the most gruesome deaths in the movie and then takes the key from him. <laughs> And you don't see too much of it. He grabs his head, and then all you see is he sticks a tentacle down his mouth, and it comes back out through his nose, and then the rest of it is shot from behind, and the sound effects tell the whole story. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's so, so gruesome. It's also funny, like, there's very little blood in these movies, but mm-hmm. there's some pretty pretty gruesome deaths. I mean, obviously, again, it's Disney. It's, you know, yeah. PG, PG-13 or whatever. They can only but, get away uh, with so much. Yeah, they, I don't know, they did a lot uh, and, and didn't have to show blood. They did, mm-hmm. they they told the story well so that you didn't notice that uh, compared to other movies that it was lacking yeah. <laughs> blood in gore, I, I think guess. They, I think they did a really uh, good job there. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying is I think they just did a good job of that. Okay, Jack's parachute scene. Mm-hmm. He, like, tears one of the small sails off of the Flying Dutchman, whose sails are, I noticed, made of, like, a thatched material. They're not, like, Yeah, canvas. they're very strange. They they have a very tropical feel. They're like a, a thatched hut, a thatched roof hut. Kind of? Um, they also just look like kind of tattered skin in some ways. Hmm. I, I think there was more of a pattern to it. It really mm-hmm. looked like... Like, uh, I, I like don't know, fibrous. it seems like some of the maybe, yeah, it seems like maybe some of the earlier ships, maybe before they had, you know, good cloth or whatever, maybe they made them like that, I mm-hmm. don't know. But, uh, yeah, he just rips this sail off and is holding all four corners, the ropes with from all four corners, while Elizabeth holds on to him and then they just sail away. <laughs> yeah, apparently there's a rising air current there, uh-huh, and uh-huh. I think they landed in the ocean, right, and then they get pulled aboard. Yeah. It uh, reminded me of, uh, like, the space capsule landings when people are re-entering the atmosphere and the, they've got their parachutes out and then the capsule hits the water and the parachute deploys. Uh-huh. Uh, then we end with Will and Elizabeth spending their last day together well, on an island. Well, uh, we, we, we don't quite... We're not quite done with our climax yet because the, oh, entire, the entire fleet is still there obviously oh yeah yeah and uh so beckett and those observing from you know his ship can't quite see what happened they just see uh both ships sort of narrowly escape and uh then we we see that um beckett's flagship sails out and the black pearl goes to meet them head-on because they know that the or they're they're at least hoping that the Flying Dutchman, now under the command of Will as the new Davy Jones, will come up to help them. Mm. And so the Flying Dutchman resurfaces, and Beckett, of course, still thinks that it's captained by Davy Jones and is coming to help him. Mm-hmm. 
and then we get this amazing scene of the two ships just raking Beckett's flagship from both sides, and Beckett <laughs> is just completely unable to comprehend the fact that he has been that he was completely wrong about what was happening and that his plan has gone wrong and he didn't know what was going on and he doesn't issue any sort of command to his ship to, mm-hmm. to return fire and there's just this gorgeous scene of Beckett slowly descending the stairs on his ship as the ship is just blown apart behind him in slow motion ah, yes and it's just uh-huh. such a fitting end to his character because essentially you know the his world is crashing down around him as he just calmly descends the stairs and then is event you know, we see him fall into the ocean on top of an east india company trading uh mm. shit like flag Yes, yes, that was very good. I can't believe I glossed over that. But yeah, yeah, his his death and and then all the East India Trading Company ships just turn around and leave. They're like, nope, yep. bye. Yeah. So and then yes, uh, we see that uh, Will has become the new Davy Jones, and that he and Elizabeth are going to have to see each other once every ten years uh, on mm-hmm. this island that they dropped her off on. Yeah, so I don't understand why she can't just go aboard the Flying Dutchman to see him. That's a, been... that's a great question. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> or why they can't just meet in a rowboat somewhere yeah. so that he, he doesn't have to go ashore and then maybe there's some rule about she can't be on the Flying Dutchman. I don't I know. I mean, maybe Will's like um, so why... busy ferrying the souls that he can't like yeah, yeah. come and see her. I, I don't know. It, it's because um, it's the then... rules. Why why can't he go ashore in a bucket of water like Davy Jones did? Go and meet in the shallows. <laughs> but only so much as we keep in the shallows as much as possible. <laughs> but yes, uh, uh, a not incredibly powerful ending to the movie, but a satisfying one at least. Yeah. Um, well, and then of course Jack... Is uh, has stolen the center of the map from Barbosa, who took his ship. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. Right at the end, after uh, after Will leaves mm-hmm. and leaves Elizabeth alone on the island, all by herself, mm-hmm. to spend ten years. Um, we find Mister Gibbs asleep on the dock as uh, Jack is walking down the dock with um, Scarlet and uh, what's her name, uh, Giselle. That sounds right. I don't know. Uh, he's like, oh, there's, there's my ship, and they're like, that's your ship? He's like, no, that is in fact a dinghy. My ship is on the horizon. There because Barbosa stole, stole it again. <laughs> somebody has stolen it again. And then he wakes up Mr. Gibbs. Why is my ship gone? <laughs> can't remember the exact quote, but it's so good. It's just kind of like, oh, I can't believe like, this. Gosh dang it, Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, Gibbs is like, "Oh, we're we're on the ship," and he goes back to sleep. <laughs> then he just startles awake. Like, wait, we're not on the ship. Yeah, yeah. And then and Jack then sets off how... in his little dinghy with his map and a and a a, a bottle of rum, just completely content. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and back on the, the Black Pearl, how the other crew members aren't quite happy with having mutinied Jack again. <laughs> And they want to see the map where they're going to find the Fountain of Youth, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when Davy Jones, or I'm sorry, Bob Bosa opens it up and reveals that Jack has indeed stolen the important part. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I love that ending. Yeah. And then it's, there's a... It's a fitting wrap-up to each of their personalities, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then a uh, post-credit scene where um, you see Elizabeth has, in fact, in those ten years had a child, mm-hmm. and Will is coming back ashore to meet both of them. Yep. Now, I've only seen four and five once, but he looked very similar to a character in four or five. So I'm interested to see if it is, in fact, his child that comes up in one of those movies. Uh, Do you mean if it's the same actor or? No, not necessarily, but just does Will's. because the main character of, I think, five is very intentionally Will's son. Okay, I wasn't sure on that, and I was going to wait just till we watched to see, but uh, spoilers. Well, I mean, it's it's like literally the first scene of the movie, so. Okay, couldn't remember. <laughs> um, so there's a little teaser. Keep watching through the, yeah. uh, keep listening through the series. Um, All right. Anything else you wanted to add? I, I don't know. This has been a very long review, uh, but I think that's that fits because these are very long movies, surprisingly. I, I didn't remember them being that long, but they're not short. <laughs> hmm. I didn't have nearly as many notes as last time, but uh, yeah, we went a lot longer than There's There's a lot to unpack here. It's a very sort of sweeping world, and all of the characters have their own little stories and motivations and uh, goals, and it's the... It's fitting for a, like, two-hour review. <laughs> hmm. So, what was your favorite scene? Oh, okay. So, I think that my favorite scene is... Um, I think it's the little exchange that that Jack and Barbosa have on on the island with the Kraken. Where they talk mm. about the world being the same and there being less in it. And the... The problem with being the last of anything is that the, that eventually there's none left at all. The the yeah. the interplay between Jack and Barbosa is so interesting. Their relationship, because mm-hmm. fundamentally they're very similar. Um, but Barbosa almost has sort of a they they trade off being sort of the the more mature one in the relationship. <laughs> they're very much like brothers. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because Barbosa acts more serious than Jack does all the time, but Barbosa is mm-hmm. one of the only people with whom Jack sort of behaves like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... because you know he sees him as an equal, and I think that 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 scene really brings that out, as well as being what I think is sort of the main theme of the movie with the the loss of sort of the magic of of the sea. And the world becoming a less interesting place. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually also going to say the uh, my favorite scene was just that island, specifically with the Kraken there mm-hmm. on the beach. Mm-hmm. Partially just because it's a tropical island and it looked cool, but then also this giant Kraken dead on the beach. Yeah. I really want to know the story of how... how, how it, how it died does yeah, Davy Jones just have complete control over its life and he can just like tell it to go it beach itself did he beach it there I don't know and then it died from being out of water or did it just wash up on shore I don't know that would be interesting it makes you feel bad for the Kraken even though it was just like a mindless mm-hmm. beast in the second movie yeah the uh 
poor Kraken. Mm-hmm. Um, put that on, we'll have to put that on a t-shirt. Poor Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, see, I'm torn on this. I think that what did I say? Norrington for last time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I think that honestly, it, I don't know. In order for him to be my favorite character, you have to include his growth in this movie. Um, but mm. I think that in this movie specifically, my favorite character is has got to be Barbosa. Mm-hmm. Although, like Jack is obviously a strong contender. Jack's the most entertaining. But <laughs> yeah, Barbosa is definitely a solid choice. Um, I think I have to go. As you said, Jack is definitely probably the most entertaining character mm-hmm. of the entire series, and that's why we keep watching. Yeah. Um, and he did have some good character growth. He did uh, he did the right thing in the end. But I think Beckett was my favorite character. Mm. Just he's a like very I said good before, villain. He's he was so good at what he did. He was so in control. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just I think his character was so well acted. And his motivations were so clear and yeah, just rock solid performance. <laughs> Absolutely, Love yeah. It. Well, all right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, and I'm sure we'll have another great review to throw at you soon. <laughs> and uh, as soon as we decide then, what it is, <laughs> and then we'll do number four, and then probably another review, and then number five. So yeah. Well, you know. Stick with us. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll make it through this thing before we're in our 90s. Yeah. yeah. You know, until next week, remember not to be the last of the pirates and uh, not to lock J- Captain Jack up in any brig where you expect him to stay. <laughs> Excellent advice. Hold on a minute. We totally forgot to talk about the Green Flash. Yes. Tell me about the Green Flash. Well, I thought it was just made up for the movie, but turns out it's a real thing. Huh. And the author of this, there's a little, I guess we'd call it an article or a blog post on a website mm-hmm. called uh, EarthSky.org. Okay. Uh, and so it talks about the Green Flash and talks about uh, how there's some myth and stuff behind it. Uh, it According to the website, it said that once you've seen a green flash, you'll never again go wrong in matters of the heart. Well. So I think we need to go and start watching sunsets. I got to start looking at the sky more. Um, so there's several actually really cool photos of the green flash. I encourage you to do a Google image search of green flash. Um, it says here to see the green flash, you need a clear day with no haze or cloud on the horizon uh, and then a distant horizon. And and it says a distinct edge to the horizon. You can see the green flash from mountaintops or high buildings, but it is most often seen over the ocean by people on beaches or boats. <laughs> My original, uh, and then there's also a safety uh, note. It says, important tip, do not look at the sun until it is nearly entirely below the horizon. Mm. <laughs> You're not supposed um, to look at the sun. Okay. Got it. Yes. Uh, if you've learned anything from this episode, that's Don't what we want you to take sun, home. Don't look at the sun, kids. Um, <laughs> so my theories on... So I, actually, I guess I'd like to hear your theories as well, but my theories on how this might have happened in real life before hmm. reading this article were just that maybe it was the sun shining through the water of the ocean and 
you know, just just had a green tint for some reason, right. or cut out, you know, certain wavelengths or whatever, or maybe a wave happened to rise up just as the sun was setting and it shined through that. That would that would make sense. Uh, but then, of course, you can apparently see it from mountaintops and building tops. So I'm just curious, what what are your theories on how it might work? Gee, I don't have a freaking clue. Uh, there of the uh, you know of the endless list of things that I'm of course an expert in. Uh, this is certainly not one of them. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I had always assumed it was something that they had completely made up for the movie. So uh, this is all <laughs> new to me. <laughs> uh, apparently, there's also some kind of beacon or something that will appear. But the author says that he has never seen or a ray, mm. uh, a green ray. Um, it says the flash can be like a flame that shoots above the horizon. In this case, huh. it's called a green ray, and there's a kind of cool photo of it. Um, hmm. So, what makes the green flash? According to the website, uh, the green flash is a result of looking at the sun through a greater and greater thickness of atmosphere. As you look lower and lower in the sky, water vapor in the atmosphere absorbs the yellow and orange colors in the white sunlight, and air molecules scatter the violet light. Oh. That leaves the red and blue green light to travel directly toward you near the horizon. Or excuse me, directly toward you. Near the horizon, the sun's light is highly bent or refracted. Uh it's as though there are two suns, a red one and a blue green one, partially covering each other. The red one is always closest to the high horizon, so when it sets before excuse me. So when it sets or before it rises, you see only the blue green disc the green flash and when it talks about two suns it sounds a little confusing until you look at the photos of what they're yeah. talking about and then it makes perfect sense like we've all seen that shot of the sun setting in a western or whatever and mm-hmm. the sun kind of appears to break up just before it goes below the horizon yeah which i always just assumed were some kind of heat waves or something mm-hmm. um, but yeah it, somehow it, it plays into this uh, optical effect so makes a lot of sense actually just thought it was super cool that the green flash is actually a real thing and, and uh next time I'm in the mountains or in the near the ocean I'm going to be watching for it. <laughs> yeah. It's also apparently a comic book arc where the flash gets a hold of a green lantern ring, but I think that might be unrelated. <laughs> I'm sure that's what the Pirates of the Caribbean was referring to. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we delved into that. Quite fascinating. Okay. That's all I needed. We can stop. All right, good luck cutting that in somewhere.